Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. They were the conservatives of the day. They knew the word. I think they loved the word. They, they did their best to obey the word. The problem was is that they'd forgotten the one that gave them the word. Their hearts were far from the Lord, though their testimony was they were doing all these things for him. today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Doubters and Debtors. We are in Luke chapter 7, and we will take up today in verse 36 as we consider the woman who wiped Jesus' feet clean with her tears. So let's listen in. We go from the doubters to the debtors. And it's an interesting story because there are actually two debtors in the story. And Jesus makes that very clear in the form of a little parable he inserts. One of the debtors is a religious guy. He's a Pharisee, very conservative, very highly regarded, well-respected. They were the conservatives of the day. They knew the word. I think they loved the word. They, they did their best to obey the word. The problem was is that they'd forgotten the one that gave them the word. Their hearts were far from the Lord, though their testimony was they were doing all of these things for him. Well, we have Simon the Pharisee, and then we have this notorious sinner, this nefarious sinner. We really don't know her name, but we do know that everyone knew she was a sinner. And apparently not everybody, including Simon, knew that he was a sinner. Well, one of the Pharisees, verse 36, asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. When the scripture points out specifically someone was a sinner, it means a well-known or notorious sinner. Everybody got that her sin was obvious. When she knew Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. Now, you know, the Bible says confession of sin is a good thing, but let me give you a tip. He means confessing your sin, not someone else's. And that's what this guy's doing. See, he's like, if I was there, I'd go, hey, give your own testimony, you know? Confessing her sin, that's not exactly what God has in mind. She, by the way, has already done that, and she is publicly testifying to something that I'm certain had already taken place in her heart. There had already been, well, an encounter with him. We can see that if you go through the other gospel accounts, that uh, he had offered forgiveness to a great multitude, and no doubt she was one who had received it, and her her actions testify of that reality. Now, here's the contrast. A well-known, obvious sinner 
And she boldly enters the house of this Pharisee who really doesn't consider himself a sinner. And what's the difference in a really religious person and a completely non-religious person? A religious person is someone who's better at hiding their sin. Someone who has traded sins that are obvious for sins that are easier to hide. And that's what he was doing. And, and I want to make sure that doesn't happen to you. That you don't just deal with the big stuff that everyone would say, whoa, there's no way, you know, you did that or you said that or you went there. Or, there are things that before we came to Christ actually hindered us coming to Christ because we knew, even though no one told us, if I give my life to Christ, I'm going to have to give up those things. Isn't that true? I mean, maybe some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, then you probably still have some things to deal with, but... But, but most of us had some things that we were clearly going to have to give up if we were going to walk with Jesus. And, and here's the thing. She lovingly and sacrificially ministers to Jesus. She weeps over him. She anoints him with fragrant oil. Was some of this behavior inappropriate? Culturally, yes. I mean, she takes down her hair and begins to, to you know, wash his feet with her tears and, and dry him with her hair and... Well, in that culture, a woman would never take down her hair except before her husband. They kept it wrapped up. They, they kept themselves kind of contained. And, and so she is just like oblivious to everyone in the room. That's what we need to see. Her, her eyes are fixed on him. She doesn't care about Simon. She doesn't care about the disciples. She doesn't care what they think of her. She only cares about him. And why would that be? Because she had had an experience with him. She'd been confronted with her sin and she saw forgiveness in his eyes and heard forgiveness from his lips. So she's doing what really all of us should be doing, lavishing our love on him, not worrying about what people are going to think of me or how they're going to perceive me or... How does this look to them? But, but Lord, I just love you and I thank you and, and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. 1 Timothy 5, 24, by the way, says, some men's sins are clearly evident. She would have fallen into that category, though she was a woman. Her sin clearly evident, right? Everybody knows. Preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. In other words, some people, you can just see it. They come in and you're like, Phew, reeking. I, this, this guy's got some real issues, some real problems. Other people, you have no idea. But, but he's saying those sins do eventually manifest. And, and likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. And so it's important that we get it. All of us will doubt. So what do we do when we doubt? We come back to what we know to be true, what the word teaches. All of us are in debt. We all have a debt we can't pay. He's going to make that very clear here in a moment. And so what do we do? We come confessing our sin, not other sin. We don't blame shift or justify or rationalize or, or claim we're a victim in the situation. But we just confess our part in it, our sin in the midst of it. Well, we're told at this point in verse 39, the Pharisee spoke to himself and Jesus is going to respond. But, but here's the thing. He's not talking out loud. He's just thinking these things. Now, you know, 
it's difficult to control your thoughts. It's not impossible because the Bible says take every thought captive. That means it can be done. But if you're anything like me, and most of you are at least in some ways, one of them being sometimes weird thoughts just pop into my head. And I'm like, whoa, I know that's not you, Lord. I don't like that. I know you don't like that. If that's me, forgive me. If that's the enemy, rebuke him. But I'm sure it's not you. Here's the deal. I can't stop a thought from popping into my head, but I can stop myself from entertaining that thought, enjoying that thought, building on it, letting it plant itself in me so I actually act upon it. And here's a guy who's thinking something and Jesus is going to get in his head and then get in his grill. He's going to get right in his face and, and deal with them. Now, I think it was Bob Coy that, that first suggested how weird it would be if we had a little video monitor on our forehead, you know? And you know how like when you watch CNN or Fox or any news station and, and they have the guy talking and then they have that little scrolling thing across the bottom? Some people hate that. I love it because I, I get bored easy and, you know, I really get bored with what they're saying. But, you know, I can listen and I can read. And, and so um, the, the problem would be if what was on the, the, the upper part was what you were saying and what was running on the ticker tape is what you were thinking, we'd find ourselves in some real problems, wouldn't we? I mean, we'd be selling sock caps like crazy. There'd be people with helmets and I mean, hats would just be in, especially for guys. And uh, I've been in so many situations where Pam, and, and, and God love her. I mean, she's just the, the best thing that ever happened to me. But, but she, she's out of town, clearly, because dress shirt, jeans, and topsiders. See, I can do this. But if she was home, here's what she'd say. Are you wearing that with that? I mean, that's just her, right? You're going to wear that with that? Now, to me, this is as good as it gets. Comfortable, comfortable, comfortable. And, uh, and, and not, you know not offensive and I keep telling her the only video from you know this point out but anyway here's the thing where I'm really going with this is this is the same woman that that will look at me and say you're not wearing that with that you're not wearing with that with that and then she'll put on her clothes and say how do I look and I'm like let me tell you <laughs> I think it's crazy that the person who doesn't think I know how to dress myself would know if she looks okay the way she's dressed. But we're going to resolve this conflict. We've only been dealing with the 35 or more years. Uh, but, but my point again, things pop into my head, some of them appropriate, some of them inappropriate, but none of them mostly useful. I like to, to think through what I say before I say it, because when I don't, I get in big trouble. And sometimes I think it through and still get in big trouble, just like you. So, so here's a guy, and, and though there's no little thing on his forehead, Jesus is reading his thoughts. And he talks to him as if Simon said it. Has that ever happened to you where you were thinking someone and someone responded and you're like, did I say that out loud? This happens with Pam and I, too, because she really can sometimes read my thoughts. Not all the time, gratefully, but, but uh, some of the time. Well, Jesus answers and says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, teacher, say it. 
there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. Now, I hate to pause in the midst of something Jesus is saying, but check it out. A creditor with two debtors. I'm thinking the disciples and the other people kind of hanging out. They're looking and they're seeing the woman and they're seeing Simon and they might be putting this together. It's just a thought. But they might be thinking, yeah, two debtors. One owned 500 denarii, owed 500 denarii. The other 50, a denarii, by the way, it was minimum wage for a day laborer in that day. And so um, both of these guys have a significant debt. The, um, the guy with the greater debt, 80 weeks, six day weeks is how this comes out. Uh, the other guy has about eight weeks of debt. Uh, but, but here's the, the real issue. It says, when they had nothing with which to repay. Two debtors, one's debt much greater than the others, but neither of them have the ability to pay. It says he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Now, he's sharing so much in such a condensed little thing. He is expressing his heart and desire. This isn't just a story. This is an opportunity. Two debtors, if they both realize they're dead and confess, I can't pay. There's forgiveness available to both. He freely forgives, but one won't receive the forgiveness because one won't repent in order to receive it. But he says, which of them, if they were to both receive forgiveness, would love him more? And Simon answers, and you know, he's not a lawyer, he's a Pharisee, but he hangs out with lawyers, so he responds like a lawyer. I suppose, he says, and if I were Jesus, I'd stop and say, you suppose? You, you what? You suppose? That's lawyer talk, just straight up. We all know the one who's forgiven the greater debt is going to have greater love and greater, um, you know, appreciation for that forgiveness. I suppose, he says, the one whom he forgave more. And I love how Jesus can find good in any of us and in all of us. He is so amazing. He finds something to affirm in Simon. He says, you have rightly judged. It's like, well done, Simon. It's like, I feel like it's me with my little two-year-old grandson and he does something and I didn't really need the help and it wasn't really all that much help, but I want him to feel good about what he's doing. So I'm like, hey, great job. And, and, and by the way, then it will over time become a great job. More and more happens. But Jesus is affirming him here. You've done well. You've figured it out. Then he turns to the woman, but he speaks to Simon. Take note of that. Jesus is looking at her, but he's speaking to him. And he says, do you see this woman? I like that because Jesus sees her and he really sees her. He not only reads Simon's thoughts, he not only knows what they think about her and know of her. He knows everything about her. He really sees her, but he says, do you see her? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Now get this. These were all common 
courtesies in the first century. People walk the dusty streets in their sandals. They come into your home. You always provided water to wash their feet. You always gave them a kiss on each cheek. It's, it's our hug or our handshake. It's just a common courtesy. You always provided oil for a guest. Why? Because their skin would be dried out and, and, and again, cracked and it's dry, it's hot, it's sun-baked. And, and so these are just common courtesies that you would extend to your guest. And he's saying, you didn't do any of that. Oh, you invited me over. And who knows what his motivation was for that. But he didn't treat him with honor or respect. And he says, in contrast, man, she's done all these things. And then he says, therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, don't misunderstand. He's not saying he's forgiving her because she loves him so much. No, she loves him so much because he's forgiven her so much. That word for could be therefore. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Therefore, she loved much. We love him because he first loved us. Don't read into this that, that somehow he's responding to what she's doing. No, she's responding to what he's done and is doing. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Is this suggesting that some have less to forgive? Possibly. But it's certainly saying if I don't realize I have a great debt, well, then I think, well, he forgave me my little sins, but he forgave them their big sins. The reality is our littlest sin, if there is such a thing as that. When I was uh, 13, my mom remarried a Catholic. I went through the catechism and they taught me that there were venial and mortal sins. Mortal just sounds bad, right? Mortal sin, you know, mortal wound. I, I got that right away, but I'm like, I'm interested in this venial category. And uh, those were sins that weren't so bad. But here's what I've learned from actually reading the Bible, that, that the sin I would consider the least was serious enough that Jesus had to die on the cross for it or I would have forever been lost to him. And that's true for all of us. So he says, her sins are many. She, she's the one, the great debtor. She's the one who had this great debt and, and she knew it and she came and she confessed it and she loves much as a response. But, but the one who's forgiven little, well, he loves little. Then he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, I am fully convinced this had already taken place personally and privately between him and her. And why I say this is in the very same way that, that Jesus will restore Peter privately, then he restores him publicly. Certainly, she's given her life to the Lord, and that's why she's loving him and lavishing her, her affection and attention and her assets on him. And, and so what he's doing is publicly acknowledging in the midst of all these people that her sins are forgiven. And then those who sat at the table with them begin to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? With the paralytic, they said, only God can forgive sins. And they were so close. They had it right. Only God can. And Jesus is the Son of God. And God the Son. 
He doesn't just say your sins will be forgiven. He is forgiving her sins. And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this part. How could her faith save her? Doesn't the Bible teach that salvation is a gift of God? Yeah, we're saved by grace. That means it's a gift. Saved by grace through faith. Faith is the hand that reaches out and accepts the gift of salvation. Saved by grace through faith and that not of the, ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. So God offers her forgiveness. She receives it. She receives it the way we all receive it, by faith. So he leaves her with these words, and I'll leave you with them and a couple things to ponder. He says, your faith has saved you. Is that a reality for you? Have, have you been convicted that, well, not only have you had your days or seasons or times of doubt, but perhaps you've doubted the very gospel itself, that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried and rose again the third day, that there's forgiveness in him. If you've doubted that, man, I would turn that around today. Raised as someone who knew the word, got away from it, mentioned three years in the Catholic church, 10 years, didn't go near a church. And at 27 years old, someone invited me to a little cabin where they shared the Lord with me. And then we went to church and I gave my life to the Lord. And I put together what I had heard since I was a child, that, that the message of the gospel is, is meant to change our lives. Not, not just to give us comfort temporally, but to give us life eternally. And so that, that thing he says to her finally is go in peace. And I'd like to suggest today that if, if I were to ask you, are you forgiven your sin? Have you been forgiven? Have you been cleansed? Do you know that you know that you belong to him? And you say, absolutely. On what basis do you make that statement? All you have is what she had. You have his word on it. He says you confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You have his word and that's all. But that's enough. We sing it. All of you is more than enough. And, and when it comes to his word, that's true as well. If you've been doubting, then put those doubts away. Return to what you know to be true. Build on that. Get back to square one. If, if you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, do it today. If you're not at peace today, the uh, fruit of the Spirit, we're told, is love, joy, and peace. And here's what I've noticed. The moment I doubt, the moment I sin, the moment I wander, and it can happen in a moment, I lose my joy and I lose my peace. They are sure test if I'm walking right now in obedience with the Lord. And that happens to all of us. So, so the question is simple. Are you at peace today? Are you experiencing the joy that, that welds up from within that isn't determined by your circumstances or situation? And are you at peace? Because you can only be at peace with God through the blood of Jesus cross. And you can only find peace within when you're at peace with God. And you can only be at peace with one another when you're at peace within. Have you noticed that? It's like so often in a situation where things are a little tense, we'll say, well, if only he or she or they, but it always comes back to me. 
When I'm at peace, there's nothing you can do to steal that peace. When I'm not at peace, there's nothing you can do to give it to me. It comes from Him. And so the issue is, if you don't have peace with God, then confess your need for His forgiveness today and you'll find the peace of God. And then if you're not at peace within, you will be. And then, well, as much as is possible for you to be at peace, be at peace with all men. It doesn't promise all will be at peace with you, but it says you can try to be at peace with them. You can become a peacemaker. You'll experience the blessedness of the one who is a peacemaker. Let's pray. Proverbs 22.7 says this about debt. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, this is the truth about worldly debt. But spiritual debt is much worse. The debt we owe because of our sin is impossible for us to pay. Even a lifetime of labor will not absolve us from this debt. However, it is the gift of Jesus Christ, the cost paid by his blood on the cross, that cancels this debt out for you and I and all who have faith in him. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.